No need to whine and shiny balloons up. Have some wine and join us on the Whiny Palooza podcast with Rebecca Green. Welcome to the Whiny Palooza podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Green. I'm a wife, mother of three, and licensed clinical social worker. I also have three fur babies at home, too. My passion has always been to help children and their families. I always dreamed of being a wife and a mother. Parents are always learning through their struggles, failures, and successes and joys. I am no stranger to this wild ride of parenting, and I know behind every great parent lies a team of supportive friends and family. I want to be part of your support system. I want you to know that you are not alone. We are in this parenting world together. Join me every week for insightful discussions with experts on parenting and marriage, as well as other parents who have found the secret to successes in parenthood. You'll learn tips and tricks to make life with your family better than ever. I hope you will follow along with me while we dive into what it takes to achieve a happy family. Hello, everyone. This is Rebecca Green for the Whiny Palooza podcast, and I am super excited today because I have Julie Emerson here with us today. Hi, Julie. Hi. Thank you so much for doing this with me today. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to help people today, and I want to tell you that Julie has come from overweight to scary skinny and her journey to self-love now her journey to self-love. And we're going to talk about her journey and her healing, and she's going to help a lot of people. So thank you for being willing to talk about your journey. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So can we start with um, when and how the eating disorder started? You know, honestly, when, when I looked back um, to, to ask myself that question, um, I I remember at such a young age, having an emotional connection with food an unhealthy emotional connection with food at a very young age, I want to say probably even five or six, I think it's probably like when I I started to, to use food in a negative way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, in, in your years following that, when did you start to realize that you needed help? You know, it, it manifested in, in so many different ways. And I think, um, especially, I mean, I'm 39, so I'm not that old, but it was definitely a lot less talked about, um, then, than even now. And, and what is an unhealthy relationship with food? So when I was overweight, nobody, um, ever, mentioned how anything about it, how I may have gotten there, how I'm feeling, you know, maybe, maybe mention, introduce some healthy eating habits, you know, nothing. So, um, so I'm sorry, I I forgot your question. Can you? No, that's totally okay. You, you said that you noticed that you had an, you know, you had an emotional connection. You got to your overweight place, then you got to your scary skinny place. So tell us. When did I when... notice it was a problem? Is that what you Yes. Asked? I'm sorry. Yes. I think when I, I was 19 years old, my husband was leaving for then boyfriend leaving for the military, uh, for boot camp. And I thought, you know what, he's going to go and, and change, get healthy, lose weight, whatever it was. And he wasn't overweight, but you know, I, I had this feeling that he was going to improve in some way and kind of, and I didn't want to be left behind or, you know, him to come out of it and, and see that, you know, I was unhealthy. So that was the first time that I ever dieted, ever thought about dieting. Mm. So I was 19 when I thought maybe, maybe I do have a problem. I had no idea what the problem was at that point. But I think at 19 was the first time that I thought there's a problem. Oh, boy. And did people around you notice and ask you to get help? Like, how did that go? No. And, you know, I think, too, that I didn't acknowledge it. I probably didn't want to face it at that point. Right. And acknowledge 
what the problem was. Um, and, and I don't remember ever feeling like I, I wish I could diet. I want to diet. I wish I could change, but I, I think I had just these walls up that, that we tend to do right when we're not yes. feeling. So, um, so I, I think I never said out loud that I had, a pro- but, but people around me, the closest ones around me surely would have noticed, you know, that I was retreating from social situations. I was, I was sleeping. I was missing school. You know, I was, I was up very late. Um, that's when the, the binging and, and late night eating started to was young, probably ninth grade, if not earlier than that. And, um, so, so no one mentioned anything about while, while I was overweight. Right. Right. But then you went, you know, we don't tend to say anything when people are overweight, like we don't want to insult anybody, but then you went to a scary skinny place. So when was that? That, that took some years because it's funny, the diet kind of triggered this need to keep going and this, this newfound. And I think because I just kind of transferred one addiction to the other, where it was just food yeah. was the addiction yeah. and now becoming skinny and, and, and striving for this, you know, perfection, whatever I, you know, and most of the time we do because of society, what we're inundated with, yes, we do associate, you know, perfect or good or better with skinny. Yes. So at that point, um, I lost when I first started that diet and I, I did um, a low carb diet and I lost in those first three weeks, 20 pounds. <gasps> Whoa. And, and I, and that, I think that, you know, rush of that high that caused, you know, a high in that direction, a high that I was always seeking. I mean, I, I did drugs when I was young, you know, alcohol, cigarettes, I very young had been seeking, um, or escaping Yeah, my reality. Um, and once I saw that, I just wanted more. And so I became scary, skinny, probably, I mean, over the next couple of years, it, it really didn't take effect until probably, honestly, probably even four or five years later, um, until I discovered a new high, which was binging and purging. Mm. So you've really gone through a lot and, um, did you get, did you get help? Did you get outside help? No, that, um, that first, I I think I was about say 23, 24. Um, and, and leading up to this, when, when I would overeat because the overeating never stopped, I started, you know, extreme dieting, but the need to eat until I felt horrible, mm. never stopped. So, um, I, at first I thought I found kind of, um, and I don't know if you've ever heard that term. I feel like I don't hear this very much, but exercise bulimia where you eat you and then you feel the need to exercise. Oh. So that started before, um, that was like probably my first form of, um, of binging and purging. And okay. I would just purge it in a way of just go on, go to the gym, go on the treadmill for two hours, walk around a neighborhood. You know, I got one of those gazelles, you know, doing that for two hours, you know, and, oh my and gosh, going down the shame spiral, you know? And, um, so I think that, that form that led to the next, what's easier than this? Because that's, that's hard. That takes a toll really fast. Right. So once I discovered that I could eat all I want and, and for lack of a better way to be, you know, but yes. up, you know, yes. and that became so easy in, in, in the strangest way that became like that, that released me that, you know, released me from the previous, you know, and, but still getting to the goal that I was searching for. I'm always so perplexed when I hear this because I hate throwing up so much. 
<laughs> that I can't imagine wanting to. I mean, that just blows my mind. And I know you're not- I never, I'm sorry. No, you go, you go. I was the same. I mean, I remember as a kid, like fighting it to the death, you know, when you had like a stomach bug and I hated it. I don't know why that day, it, it must be because where I was mentally was so much stronger than that physical reaction that, and I hated myself so much that, yeah, that, that I was willing to feel that discomfort for the greater good. And, and that became a part of my life for the next 15 years. Wow. And it wasn't every day at first, but more and more like any drug, the more it, it per, probably pretty quickly became daily, maybe within a month, two months. Did people around you know that this was happening? I didn't start losing extreme weight until my husband got out of the army. We were, I think I was about, we were 25, 26. Um, and, and we moved back home and I remember, and that that triggered, we moved it back in with my parents and that triggered, you know, all of the childhood things uh, that I went through, all the feelings. And then it became, not only was I binging and purging daily, I was avoiding food. And I was also binging and purging multiple times daily because that was my coping mechanism. So, and I, I was plenty skinny at that point. Um, but I just, then it also was, was a a comfort to me too. So, um, and, and that's when I started becoming scary skinny and that year that we lived there. Um, I probably, when we moved there, maybe went from a hundred pounds to 85. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. At, At my lowest, I was 80, 85 pounds. Oh my gosh. So, and then that's when people did start to notice. So as a parent, as parents listening, what were people saying that was helpful and what were people saying that was not helpful? When, when you see someone you love struggling and you're natural, you just want to help them. Right. But most of us are not equipped with the tools to do that. So what, what did happen, I'll tell you what did happen and what I wished happened. Um, at the best, like, uh, best type of that I I could say people offered me food. Um, you know, people wanted to feed me when you see somebody that, you know, um, but nobody knew how to approach it in any other way. The worst was, um, and this will go to show the type of upbringing I had, but, uh, when I would make food in my parents' house, my mom would say, you're, you're making food so you can throw up, huh? You're, you know, you would, yeah. And, and, and she would say it in a way that um, instead of, you know, comforting, she would say like, well, go ahead, go throw up, you know, go, you know, and I understand at now as a parent, you know, that it's frustrating, you know, and you, you've, it, there's got to be anger involved, you know, that, but unfortunately she didn't know, you know, and the, but that was, she didn't know in general. And that was kind of the root cause, you know, of how to show love, you know, so um that was the worst of it. And my husband just always loved me throughout it. And that was the best thing that he could have done. Um, but then at that point I was, I was hiding it. I mean, it wasn't either people thought that I was anorexic or binging and purging because you don't get that small, you know, in a healthy way. Right. Right. Some people with genes, sometimes people are just skinny and, and they, can't gain weight, you know, and, and we have to be sensitive to that too. You know, we can't assume everyone has an eating disorder if they're skinny. Um, but, but if you knew that somebody, you know, could keep on weight before and now they are skinny, you know, um, and I think now the, the best advice that I I can give people, if they see someone struggling is first and foremost, just to let them know that uh, they are, and let them feel that they are a soft place to land, that you are going to love them no matter what. You're going to be here no matter what, and it's going to be gentle. 
because if someone senses that, if they are afraid that when they go to that, if they go to that person, that they're going to have a negative reaction, negative experience with them, they're not going to want to do that and, and they'll avoid them at, at all costs at that point. So letting them know, just and letting them feel that they are there and just saying just a simple thing of, is everything okay? I think that can be so powerful um, because when we're feeling, when, when things aren't okay, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to not let that, you know, into life. And, and if anybody asked me that, I think I probably would have taken a breath and just said no, but no one ever did. Um, and, and then that went on for years and it, and it manifested in, in so many different ways. It became, I never, I didn't hide it after so many years and really to, to most people. Wow. Wow. I appreciate your advice and I appreciate you being so open with us because I know this is, this is probably not the easiest topic to talk about. (laughs) Right. You know, um, I, when I decided that I was going to start healing and, and moving past this, I waited a whole year to talk about it. And probably the only person that knew was my husband and and my mother-in-law home close with. Um, But I, I, the day to to the day, I waited a whole year to say it because I think it is hard to say um, these things, but more than anything, I wanted to make sure that I was beyond it and not a hypocrite. You know, I didn't want to feel like I was. Yeah. So now it honestly doesn't, it's, it's hard for me to say some things because I want to be sensitive and I, and I don't want, um, you know, people to, to, I I don't know if afraid is the right word, but you know, it's hard for people, I think, to hear this stuff, but I want to say all the hard things because I, I, for those people that do need to hear, that are struggling to say to themselves first, you know, the hard things and, and say out loud to people, I am struggling. Everything is not okay right now. I need help. You know, those are the hardest things to say to ourselves first, right? So this topic now is not hard for me to say, because I feel like I, I had very little hope that I would ever change that it would ever get better. And me and my husband would spend nights on the couch where he would just sit and hold my hand. And, and we would hope that that would be the first day that it would be different. And I could go a whole day without it. Um, but it would, you know, at some, it would overcome me and I would succumb to it. And I didn't go a day without it for probably 15 years. And so to have gone that very first day, you know, to, so now being, you know, five years plus away from that, um, I I think it's so important for me to say it, say everything. And for people to know that no matter how much you think it can't change, it won't change. It really, really can and really will. Well, let's talk about these past five years and the first day and your road to healing. Can we talk about the last five years? Yes. And it's so funny. I'm getting emotional right now um, because that day, um, which was so monumental and now the rest of my life was so not special in any way. You know, I didn't do anything grand. And I think that that's another huge thing for people to know that if you don't have the resources for, and we had thought about, I had looked into, and my husband, uh, we lived in Arizona at the time, and there's a facility in Tucson, and it would have cost us $70,000 for me to go there. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and while we don't have that, you know, lying around, but we certainly could have, you know, gone into some debt for that if, you know, if, if it had come to that, and we, that had been on the table for a while. Um, because I mean, my kids watched me, you know, through this, I, I had, you know, already at this point, and we could, we could talk too about my why, you know, I would love to, but, um, but that day, 
was no different. The day before was no different than any other day. But that morning, laying in bed, I woke up so sick and tired. You know, they say sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was laying there just thinking, and and the verbiage changed instead of, I hope today is different and I want today to be different. And all of the huge expectations of change, I was able to, I don't know why, because everything before this was, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, and then I failed before I started because I put all of that pressure and expectation on it. And that morning, I don't know where nobody, I didn't read it in a book. I didn't say this before, but I said today, well, I said, I I want to, I'm going to change today. And I just said after that in my head, I'm just going to love and forgive myself today. And I, Oh, that's so beautiful. Okay, Tanner, I'm letting my dog out. Sure. I'm letting my dog out of the room. (laughs) Get out, Tanner. (laughs) Oh, yes. If it's not the children, it's the dog, by the way. Right. (laughs) Okay. So that day, it was about love and forgiveness. I think, you know, and I can't explain why. And, and that has been other than, you know, I, I do believe in God. Um, yes. and I, and I, I think that that was, you know, that God is always talking to us, I think. And I just happened to be open to it that day and listening and letting that in. Um, but, but that, that was, um, because the, the thing is that we can be beat down by our circumstances, right? Um, whatever, you know, a childhood, you know, um, a situation that happened, you know, we can be a product of those circumstances. And, and at some point though, it's, it's, it's us that's doing it to us. Right. And I, and I had realized that at some point, you know, and I was, I was really starting to become a lot more open with things with myself and starting to face things more, Um, and and one of the things that I started to realize was this is me, this is me holding on to hate for me. Nobody's doing this to me at this point in my life. I was surrounded by love. I was surrounded by people who really knew the ugly, you know, that, that I was the deep, dark, ugly, and, and people loved me anyway and forgave me. And I did a lot, you know, as most addicts do, I had done a lot of hurting. Yeah. And, and those people that I hurt forgave me, but I couldn't love and forgive myself. And so that day I had at that point, a five and um, one year old. And I think he would, he was turning two the next month. So five and two year olds. So I had a full day of um, six and two, I'm sorry, they're four years, six and two. And so we had a full day of, of life to do. You know, and, and so through and stressful moments as, you know, with, with young kids, you know, how life can be very chaotic and yes, um, I do. <laughs> right. And, and while those moments, you know, would have been triggers that day, I just t- took a breath and, and just worried about each moment, not that night. And a lot of times that would stress me out before, you know, failing before I even started by focusing on how I was going to get through that night. That day, I just thought about getting through each moment and I just breathed each, each moment and just, and, and food. I'll tell you my relationship with food from that point was became, had to become a new learning and a whole new, you know, way of life. But that day, um, and I, and I couldn't, shelter myself that day. So we did all the normal stuff and I'll never forget my daughter had a birthday party that night, a friend of hers, and it was at a movie theater. And the, the food, the only food that was served was popcorn. Popcorn was a trigger of mine. I ate popcorn probably every single day and threw it up. Um, I had learned, I had learned what foods were easy and you know, wouldn't hurt as much. And, um, so I, I had at that point, I had it down pretty good. Um, so for that to be, and I felt like 
walking in that room and seeing that that was the only food served, I, instead of being afraid of that, I actually appreciated it and felt like, you know, if I can get through this moment, I mean, I could do anything. Right. So I was able to, I had a two-year-old, so I remember he was crawling everywhere, walking and falling down. And I just focused on making sure that he was okay. And just, and also not being what everybody needed me to be. That was another huge problem of mine that I needed to be like a light in the room. And so all of that mental energy that that takes would leave me with nothing else for myself. So that night at that birthday party, I, I just decided I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be. And that was huge. And I was, I was pleasant. I smiled, but I wasn't what everybody needed me to be. I was what I needed me to be that day. And I think that was a huge catalyst too, because we can't, we can't be anything for anyone. We can't be any help if we're not taking care of ourselves. Right. That's taken me a long time to learn. So I'm going to guess that all the parents listening are probably learning it too with us because, um, yeah, there's a lot of people pleasing and trying to be everything for everyone else. I can't believe all those lessons that you just packed into that answer. That was amazing. I am so thankful that you got to that point and that you're okay. And I know that healing is not like a linear thing. I know it's probably up and down and all around. So can you take us on your healing journey? Like what it looks like? Yes. And it's so true. It, It did look different every day. And there was a lot of things that I needed to accept. And, and the serenity prayer was, was huge for me because even though I think oftentimes eating disorders are not lumped into, to addiction, I think as much as they should be. Right. Right. It truly was an addiction to food, you know, an addiction to a drug that was, and a drug that I couldn't escape because food is everywhere you go. Right. I mean, you could choose not to go to a bar. You can choose not to go get cocaine down the street, you know, but food, it has to be a part of your life. So, um, so learning how to be around food was tough and, and necessary, you know, and around food that I couldn't control, but accepting the things I can't control to the courage to change the, the things I can control and the wisdom to know the difference saying that to myself was huge because another huge part of eating disorders or addiction in general is control. And, you know, so accepting the things I can't control, I can't control all of the the stressors that are going on around us. Right. And, and, and learning that we can only control the things, the things we can and, and accepting what we can and, and, that, that has been huge. And, and some days that was easier than others. Some days, you know, I could wake up and, and stick to the, I learned that for the first year I had to stick with foods that I knew were, it's like, like an alcoholic, it maybe for the first year or forever, they just don't can't or won't, shouldn't go to a bar. Right. For me, it was, I knew what foods were a trigger. So I didn't, I stayed on a very strict diet, um, but also making sure not to be too restrictive because that's a big part of, you know, that disease. So learning to have a healthy relationship with food and with my body, understanding that I was probably going to gain weight. And when I tell you that I spent most of those years, um, if not all of them, weighing myself every day, all day long. And, and I mean, I wouldn't leave my house some days if I was not, if I was above 90 pounds, that was 90 was kind of the, you know, and, and it's hard with bulimia because you're putting in thousands and thousands of calories. So it's, it's a little bit different than just regular anorexia because you know, the amount, you know, and, and the control that, um, comes along with that, but I was, I was so out of control. Um, so my weight would fluctuate a bit. And if sometimes I got up to 92, 93, I would 
retreat. I wouldn't go to the grocery store. I wouldn't definitely wouldn't do anything social. And, and so learning how to be social again too was, you know, it was very much because now who am I in the room? I, I kind of knew how to be the skinny girl that, you know, and, and because I was still always nice to people and always had, you know, energy. I was a ball of energy. I was teaching group exercise through all of this and yeah, hours of a day. Um, and, and so I, I was in the front of the room, 85, 90 pounds telling people, you know, what to do. And, and unfortunately, sadly with our culture, I was revered for that. I mean, I, I was uplifted for that. People would constantly say, how do you do it? What are you eating? You know, what are you, yeah, it was, um, you know, so, so accepting that the journey was going to be different. Um, I had no idea what it was going to look like, but accepting that I was going to probably need to gain weight. Um, and that, and that, that was hard. That was maybe one of the hardest aspects because I spent so much time not, you know, and, and starting to, to face or understand that nobody wanted me to look that way. That didn't help anyone. And that it only matters how we make people feel. That was so huge to me. And, and of course, looking down at my then six-year-old daughter, who at that point had some, I mean, she'll say things to me now and we have not talked about it yet. Not she's 10. Um, but she'll say things like, you used to eat so much cake. Why don't you eat cake anymore? You know, oh. at birthday party, she'll say that. And because I still do avoid certain foods um, because I, I, I don't feel like we are ever healed. We're always, you know, on a journey to healing and it's more important to me to be strong and, you know, than to have foods that I don't know if they're going to make me feel bad about myself and I don't want food and the journey to using food as fuel, um, you know, and, and having a healthy relationship with food, it has looked like, you know, the whole journey has been a roller coaster, I'd say, but always moving up because every day I chose to fight. And that is the key that on those, on bad days, no matter what people are recovering from or healing from, I think being in touch with the reality that every day is going to look different and that we're going to have bad days and finding those coping mechanisms, whether it be breathing, you know, doing yoga, whatever, um, whatever the coping mechanism is, but understanding that some days you're going to need to cling to those more than others. And some days are going to be easier. And so the journey has been a roller coaster, but always moving forward. Well, and can you tell us about healthy habits today? Like what you're doing that's like a healthy habit with food. <laughs> First and foremost, um, not avoiding it. Mm. I, I learned quickly that while some people can do the, um, you know, skipping food, like it, it works better for them, you know, for me. And, and now I've, I've kind of... Um, that has been, you know, it's manifest in a lot of different ways, figuring out what is right for me and my body. And, um, I don't eat breakfast now because I realize it makes me feel tired. Even if I eat, you know, all the right, you know, whatever the, the right thing is. Um, so I tend to eat more like, like a late, you know, um, uh, breakfast or early lunch, you know, and, but not, not avoiding food, not playing games with food. And if I am hungrier, there is no, well, it's not two o'clock yet. So I can't eat. I think I see people, you know, and I know for me playing, playing games with food is an unhealthy relationship with food. And so the goal for me has not been to find, you know, perfection and to eat perfectly. The goal has been to find what works for me and what works is I can't starve myself all day. And I have to eat, you know, higher protein and, and fat. And I, and 
I can't avoid anything that I want. So if I want food, uh, fruit, there is no fruit is high in sugar. You know, it's, it's fruit fuels us. And now that I, because being my goal back then, although it was very, um, very, very off course, you know, whatever the word is, uh, I, I can't think of right now, but, um, my goal was health, you know, and to be strong. And that's why I did always work out and, and the food that I did allow myself to keep in was good, high quality food. So now I, I just needed to make sure that I had enough and, and felt good after eating it. Um, so I, I do fuel myself now with, with good food, but in the same breath, if I want to have a piece of chocolate that does nothing for me, but feels good on my tongue, I had to get to, and I didn't for the first year, but I did gradually add in things that just made me feel good. Alcohol doesn't make me feel good. It it may be because it's mind altering. And I, although I love the smell of wine, you know, and everyone's on, I have taken a sip here, there, but there's maybe just the mental part of it for me. I can't get past that. Like, it's not good for the greater good, you know, escape it. Why do I need that? You know, those questions I have asked myself and just maybe because I'm an addict, you know, that I, it, it doesn't feel natural to me. So I don't avoid alcohol. And again, if I want it, if like red, you know, red wine, I can smell it. I will take a couple sips if I, if I want it, but that's been the goal. And I think the biggest thing for anybody that struggles with food to know is that food is not the enemy. If food is, you know, and it, and it should be enjoyed and just as much as it should fuel you. So avoiding something like pineapple because it's loaded with sugar, but it's also loaded with really good things, you know, for our body and it's okay, you know, to have sugar. It's not the enemy and carbs, you know, and I, I think that has been, and now, now my kids, you know, seeing that obviously, and my husband has been on board with that. And I think having a partner too, that, that is linear, that does ha- have the same fundamentals and goals is, is hugely important too. And that's been a huge help for my husband. He sounds like he's yeah. been amazing through this whole thing. He never once said it. And that's another big takeaway too, that I always tell people, if you are, if you do have someone you love that is struggling in any way, the best thing for them, because we can't change any help anyone that won't help themselves. Right. So just being a soft place to land and some may look at it as, um, enabling, but in, in our situation, Um, I don't feel that it was, I feel like he just gently loved me and did, he was always there for whatever I I needed, um, at that time and never said a a negative word to me and just knew that, that it was going to be okay, that we were, you know, going to get through it together. And he would say things like that too. When I, when I did face it, which was rare because I spent most of the time, uh, avoiding everything, all feelings. And that's another big thing too, is, you know, allowing yourself to feel everything, but, but for sure, being someone that loves an addict is just as hard as being an addict. I think I give him, I give you both a lot of credit. Thank you for sure. So let's move to, um, children. And I, I guess what I'm looking for is advice that you can give us to prevent this with our children. Cause none of us want to see our children develop an eating disorder. That's like it, the scariest thing to me. And I think, I think children and food is much different than adult and food. Right. And I, I think that for me, because I was a restricted kid, they, you know, really restricted food was, you know, and I think oftentimes eating disorders don't just come out of thin air. It's learned behavior, right? Both of my parents have an eating disorder in, in different forms. And I, I witnessed that. So, um, with my kids, it's been so huge for me to, um, 
to ensure that the best I can, that they have a healthy relationship with food. And, and part of that is making sure that they're educated, because if I had been more educated, I think as a kid, that would have helped. Um, but making sure that there's no negative kind of, there's no negative feelings wrapped around food, um, that we, we utilize food as a healthy tool. It can be social, it can be celebratory, um, but, but it, there needs to be balance, you know, and, and uh, boundaries with food. So making sure that my kids know what we talk about, they're, they're both athletes, you know, but even if they weren't, you know, um, they, they need energy for school, for thinking, you know, for our mind. And so we, we relate food to, and that you need to eat food, this protein that I want you to have this burger, you know, this meat, eggs, whatever, um, this fat, once you have some avocado, you know, um, cheese, because that's going to help fuel you. It's going to help your mind work better. You're going to be stronger, smarter. You know, we think about, we, uh, you know, it's going to help you learn better at school. Um, but in that same breath, while my kids do throughout their day, eat a lot of food that probably most kids do not eat. Um, they also every single day have junk, have treats, you know, every single day. And it's not healthy, organic, you know, lollipops or ice cream, whatever it is, it is full on because I didn't have any of that. And every time I went to a birthday party or some kind of function where there was normal food, all I did was sit at the table and eat it because I didn't have it. So the biggest thing I think, number one is creating a healthy, um, helping create a healthy relationship with food emotionally. Um, and also letting kids just be kids. Right. I think, you know, you never want your kid to be that kid that doesn't have, you know, whatever that junk food is and needs to, you know, have put so much emphasis on it. So I was so proud that my daughter, um, would be at birthday parties. And oftentimes like it'd be, we'd be walking out and she's like, Oh mom, I didn't have a cupcake. And so we'd take one to go, you know, and, um, and that was, that was so, so good for me too. So we, we did. And of course though, all kids are going to be different because my second one still will be the kid who always asks for a second, you know, and that's okay. So, you know, he's, he likes junk food more than she does, you know, and we'll, you know, but it's, I think that's normal and, you know, that's okay. But knowing your kid, I mean, we all, we all hope and, and think that we do know our kids. Um, and, and I think we do and, and trusting that intuition that we know when things look different, right? We know, I mean, I know that now the 10 year old, she, if, if she's offered junk, she will always take it but she doesn't really, you know, put that much emphasis on it. She doesn't really need it. Like she's happy. She'll grab cucumbers and sit while she's watching a show, you know, and that's fine. So if one day all of a sudden, you know, that changes and either she's avoiding food and, and she eats, you know, and we don't count anything. I don't talk about that is another really huge thing actually that I don't want to skim over is the conversation that we have with ourselves and the treatment that we have with ourselves and our behavior. They're seeing everything, right? Yes. Even, even a little bit that we don't think could make an impact, whether it's um, looking in the mirror and like, you know, going like that or, you know, like lifting, you know, doing that or, you know, like looking in the mirror and um, even if you don't say those things, but especially a huge thing for me is, we don't use the word ugly, fat, skinny, and they do understand too that skinny can be just as hurtful as the alternate fat. And it's hard for me even to say fat at this point and chubby. And I have we have encountered it a couple times where one of them like has said, you know, something about like maybe somebody on TV referring to them as oh, like you know the chubby guy on the and I'm like. It, it cuts so deep with me. I'm still very sensitive to that, that I make sure to explain to them that there's another term that we can use another um, adjective about that person. What else did you notice about them? Did they have glasses? Did they have dark hair? You know, a, t- a color shirt, you know, something else that we can, um, because I think those words are not as, as, innocent as they seem. And so if we're saying that 
even just even about ourselves, it seems like, well, it's not mean, I'm, you know, saying they see, they feel everything and it's just as detrimental. In fact, I think it's the most detrimental Then seeing how we treat ourselves, even if we're as nice as can be to the world, but then we come home and we're mean to ourselves. So, um, so my daughter, uh, watching her now at 10 years old, I think she has a very healthy relationship with food and, uh, um, she doesn't, she doesn't put emphasis in the way she looks other than expressing herself. I think that's healthy and important. It's okay to express ourselves right with our appearance. Um, but oftentimes you, know, she wears big t-shirts and sweatpants and she, you know, and I love that. I mean, if she didn't, if she wanted to wear crop tops and, you know, certain things, I would support, you know, as long as it was coming from a healthy place. Um, and when, if, and when that were to ever shift, we know. So I think it's so important to be diligent about their habits. And, and if you see a shift in any way, address it head on and, and, and pay attention to, I mean, all of the little habits. And if there's a change, why is there a change? Oh, it's so, so true. And it's so stressful because I will tell you that a lot of kids and a lot of parents gained weight over COVID because we were home so much. And I saw my son um, gain weight and he was so upset with himself and he is like working out constantly now and looks amazing. And I keep emphasizing to him you have to eat healthy food. You have to be healthy. Like, I don't want him restricting himself. You know, it's, it's so you're doing such a good job and we have to be so careful about how we talk about food with our kids. It's true. I, I think why can't he be overweight as long as he, you know, is healthy, you know, his organs are okay. Everything, you know, if a doctor is, you know, saying, you know, you need to lose weight. Okay, fine. But I think that we put too much emphasis on the aesthetic, you know, the outside, and it's okay to express ourselves with our outside, you know, with our appearance. But, and I think, honestly, I, I think I may always be small. Um, I still am small. I, I did gain some weight and I've, I found a healthy weight for myself. I do weigh now probably between a hundred and sometimes up to 110. Um, I do weigh myself and it took me a very long time to, to, I heard someone say on social media a couple of years ago, why does that plastic thing affect you so much? Why can't you, you know, just check in and, and see if you, you know, if you want to, if you just want to make sure that that's kind of like where, you know, okay, like I feel good. Most of the time though, it's how my clothes fit, you know? And, um, but if I do want to eat the way I eat, but I want to eat more of it and I decide, you know, decide I'm, I'm just going to gain weight. It's going to be okay. There's nothing wrong with that. This is how I feel good right now. So I probably, I will stay as long as I feel good here. But if I decide that, and if I decide too, that I want to eat cake every day, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that kids really should be allowed to be um, whatever they want to be and, and feel how they want. And I think as long as we, as parents, cause we can't control the outside world. Right. And, and I think as long as they know that it's okay to, I mean, it's great if they want to be healthy, that's wonderful that he wants to work out and, and eat better. But as long as you are always that, that soft cushion for them to land, then they can be whatever they want to be. Right. And I think too, asking kids, um, socially for me, I'm, I'm still very sensitive socially. So I ask them both every day. I I think as far as the curriculum, I I can't really, I can't do fourth grade math. So, you know, asking them about, you know, how was math class, but really I do think anyway, most importantly is let's talk about the social aspect. I mean, if they need help with education, fine. You know, of course we can help my husband. That's more my husband's realm though. And I, every day when they come home, I have a school, but I, I almost immediately dive into how was lunch? Who'd you sit with? What'd you guys talk about? I know. And my husband makes fun of me, but I don't ask about 
AP world history. I ask about lunch. Yes. <laughs> and the, the little ones still in recess. So I say, how was your recess? Who did you play with? You know, yes. what did you do? Mm-hmm. Yes. So if someone is listening and they're struggling with an eating disorder, can you give them some advice to start to move to a better place? I, the best thing that I can say to anyone is start small, start with the very next step, not tonight, not tomorrow morning. Um, this, this minute on the smallest thing that you can change. So whether it's you, you wouldn't allow yourself, you know, to eat any more than I mean, and, and that that's huge to someone, but you know, if someone is restricting themselves to 800 calories a day, maybe just try and eat like an extra, you know, egg, you know, that day, if you can just, but I mean, even that saying that out loud, that that's a huge step for people. That's not small. I mean, something very small, like for me that day was just breathe to get through each moment. Also doing things like I never washed my hair. I never, I didn't like, it sounds weird that to equate this with any disorder, but I, I didn't take care of myself physically that much, even though you would think that my physical appearance was so important, but being skinny was the most important thing. So, I mean, just even shower, you know, get through the next moment, figure out the, the smallest thing that you can do to change. And then each small thing will lead to these big, huge improvements and changes, but start small and tell someone, say it out loud. And that, that's probably, I mean, that's, that's a huge step. And most people, that's one of the hardest steps, but um, if you can't do anything physically for yourself in that moment, say to someone that you trust that, you know, loves you and will do anything for you and just say, I'm struggling. I'm not feeling good. Um, And you don't have to say everything. Just by just saying those words, I need help. I'm not feeling good. I, I have a problem, you know, and oftentimes people don't want help because they're not ready to change because it feels too good. It feels too good having that comfort, that immediate comfort, that instant gratification, than dealing with, you know, all the hard work. But so I think talking to someone and just worrying about that very next step, not I'm going to change. Today is going to be better. Just the next moment is going to be better. And I mean, I wish if I could reach everyone to say, just, just love and forgive yourself, forgive that you can't, if if it's 11 o'clock right now in the morning and you have already feel like, you know, you've sabotaged your day each moment, the next moment can be better and forgive yourself. There's nothing you can do for everything that has led up to this moment. It's done. Let it go. Forgive yourself. Just focus on the next moment. The next moment can change the rest of your life. Take a breath. Let it all go. Don't worry about trying to fix anything because it will. Those each, those tiny moments lead to all of the huge things. I wish I could say, but I don't know if there's any other thing, but just get it, but just making that next moment different in some way, whatever that is for you. And for me that day was just not avoiding food the whole day, fueling myself, you know, having food and being okay that food was going to stay in, you know? So if if there is someone with an eating disorder who um, also being comfortable with being full, Mm-hmm. I think, you know, that, so if, if somebody has really restricted, if they're, if someone is struggling with anorexia and bulimia and anorexia are very similar in, in the way that the goal at the end of the day is to not have any food, as little food as they possibly can. So if, if you're having a hard time with, with letting food stay in, embrace that, that feeling of, of fullness and, and making sure that, you know, it's not overboard, but accepting that you are going to feel different today. You are going to feel full 
And that's a good thing. Your body is going to take all those nutrients and make you stronger. And you're going to be able to fight harder the next day. And so feeling full is okay. Feeling full is good. You know, that, and that's a hard concept for people with an eating disorder to, to accept, but just one moment, one moment, just breathe through it and make that next moment different. I think that is the most perfect advice. I, I think we all tend to set ourselves up for failure because we think too grandiose. And if we could take it small, little step-by-step pieces, I think we would be successful in anything we're working on. And I know I tend to overwhelm myself with like these grandiose ideas. I mean, that advice couldn't be more perfect. It will look different for, for each person. So it's hard for me to, you know, pinpoint what, but I mean, my, my dad um, is overcoming years of depression and anxiety, and he was agoraphobic um, for a very long time. And he's almost a year clean from that. Um, And for him, he couldn't shower most days. He didn't eat most days. He didn't, you know, clean his apartment. You know, there was just very basic things that we, most people, you know, take for granted. So for him, it was, um, I, I would talk to him on the phone and if he was having a hard time, I'd ask him, did you shower today? No, I haven't. Okay. Do that. And then don't worry about what to do next because just that one act will get you to the next. It will help you to feel good and strong and you won't need to have energy. Think about what the next step is. You will know what the next step, just do that one step and just let the rest follow. Totally agree. And I agree that it's different for everyone. And I, I don't know how to thank you enough. I mean, sincerely, this was so informative, so helpful. We could talk about this all day. I mean, this is such an important topic and I just can't thank you enough for sharing your own journey with us. Thank you for having me. It's for me with, with this type of addiction for years, I, it, I mean, all addiction comes with shame, but because this one is a lot uglier than, you know, it, and other, you know, alcohol can be so glamorized, right? Even smoking cigarettes, you know, can be glamorized. And um, having this, I mean, I think we take lightly that, you know, having a couple of glasses of wine at the end of the day, you know, um, it looks so pretty, you know, on TV and commercials and stuff. But, but this didn't, you know, this was not pretty and it was very hard to talk about. Um, and so, and, and it's also very common, not necessarily in the way that I did it, but unhealthy relationships with food, people struggling with food in some form, it's so common. And I think for us to just say out loud, for people to know, I mean, that I understand and also it's okay, you know, you're not gross, you're, you're just a person struggling, you know, I think I, I just, I will always is talk about it. And I appreciate having the opportunity to help, you know, even if one person um, can, I can, I, it just, it's so huge to me because I wish that I had had people that, that just said the words out loud. I, I think that you helped a lot of people today. And, and I just want to ask anyone listening, if they know somebody struggling to please share this with them, because, um, I'm just, I'm so happy that you've gotten yourself to this place. I'm so happy that you're okay. I'm so happy that you're, you're such a good mother. I mean, you're doing such a good job teaching your children to have a good relationship with food. And um, I just wish you continued success on your journey. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. This is Rebecca Green reminding everyone to spend every day laughing, learning, and loving. Thank you for tuning in to the Whiny Palooza podcast. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. While you are there, leave a review. I love to hear your feedback. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. 
To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.